Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us today for this special edition podcast, Who, What, Where, and When? Managing Specialty Pharmacy Staffing During the COVID-19 Pandemic and Beyond. This podcast is the first in a series of podcasts created by the Section of Specialty Pharmacy Practitioners. My name is Huda Marie Kanda, and I am a pharmacy manager of accreditation quality and residency at the University of Chicago Medicine. I will be your host today for the podcast on specialty pharmacy staffing during COVID-19 and beyond. Today, we'll be chatting with Ashley Reither from the University of Utah Health and Julia Chisholm from the University of Missouri Healthcare. We will be talking about remote staffing models, on-site staffing models, rotating staff, and other staffing considerations during and beyond the pandemic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ashley and Julia. Let's go ahead and get started with today's topic. So my first question for you both is, could you please introduce yourselves, your organization, and a brief description of your specialty pharmacy? Sure. Thanks so much for having us on today. My name's Ashley. I'm a pharmacy supervisor with the University of Utah Health. Um, The team that I work with works with our centralized specialty PA team and also is our team coordinating refill deliveries or pickups with our patients. Um, University of Utah Specialty Pharmacy is a URAC and ACHC accredited specialty pharmacy. We're undergoing our reaccreditation with both. Right now, we've been URAC accredited for six years and ACHC accredited for three We have a mix of centralized team members, so I work with the centralized team. We also have clinic-based specialists and multiple dispensing sites. So we have an oncology hospital with an accredited dispensing location, and then we have a centralized location as well that dispenses for our non-oncology patients and then also includes home infusion specialty pharmacy as well. Thank you, Ashley. Julia, would you like to go next? Sure. Thanks, Huda, and everyone for letting me participate on the podcast today. I'm Julia. I'm our Ambulatory Operations Manager for Pharmacy at the University of Missouri Healthcare. My role includes oversight of the specialty pharmacy and the team members, as well as kind of outpatient clinic meds processes. Our specialty pharmacy, we call it Mizzou Specialty Pharmacy, is five years old, and we are completing our first round of URAC re-accreditation. We've been accredited for three years. We cover most disease states, excluding hemophilia. We perform specialty pharmacy dispensing out of one single location. It just happens to be in the back of an existing retail pharmacy within our main hospital. We have decentralized clinical pharmacists and then pharmacy technicians out in the clinics as well. We call them patient medication liaisons. The whole pharmacy team is about 25 team members, and we're excited to talk about staffing today. Great, and thank you both for that introduction and background about your programs. So the first question I have for you is, what staffing models do you currently have in place, and does the staff rotate between these different models? I'll take that one first. So the staffing models at the University of Missouri are split into two primary functions. We have clinical-based services, and then we have dispensing-based services. So the clinical-based services have five pharmacists and nine patient medication liaisons. They are the ones that do the outbound phone call management, benefit investigation, new patient counseling, and onboarding activities. 
And then in my dispensing area, we call it the hub. We have three dispensing pharmacists and then four dispensing technicians. We do have an intern that rotates with us as school schedules allow. During the COVID pandemic initially, anyone based in the clinics went remote completely, 100%. It transitioned to remote over about two days. And so it happened very, very quickly. But we were very happy to continue to provide kind of uninterrupted clinical and prior authorization-based services. The dispensing team remained on site. Missouri did pass an emergency ruling to permit some remote data entry for technicians. So our other retail stores were able to help as well as those clinical-based folks that went remote. They were able to also help remotely when or if there were absences or vacancies or just opportunities to help out with a dispensing piece. So now that the pandemic has, I don't want to say stabilized, but normalized for us here in the University of Missouri, the clinical folks have returned back to 100% on site. And then the dispensing team as well, who never went remote, is still on site as well. Thank you, Julia. Ashley, do you want to go next? Great. Yeah, I think similarly to Julia, we have a few different teams with our specialty pharmacy team and and they all approached responding to COVID-19 in a little bit of a different way. So our dispensing teams stayed on site to continue dispensing those products that were needed for our patients. In our clinics, there was a hybrid. So some of our clinics still are providing a significant portion of their care via telehealth for our specialty patients. They might are so you know, sensitive to COVID-19 and and we want to protect our patients as much as possible. And so here at the University of Utah Health, we've seen a shift in providing a lot more telehealth. And within pharmacy, we've also been able to provide some remote services via telehealth as well. So we've been able to transition some of the clinic-based team to working from home and remote work. With my team, like I mentioned, I work with our central prior auth team. I also work with our team that sets up those fills with patients and provides medication education over the phone primarily. And so since a lot of our work with patients is more phone-based, we've actually been able to remain remote. So about 90% of my team is still working remotely currently. I am too. I'm at home right now. And so we do have some team members who still do come on site. We have some on-site responsibilities with my team. We have a few team members actually who chose not to participate in remote work and we accommodated that. So we have some team members who come on site every day and then the remaining team members rotate through. So everybody shares those responsibilities on site as well. Great. Thank you both. And I just think at University of Chicago, we have some pretty similar setups where our dispensing team has also remained on site and it's remained, you know, the same for those staff members as, and then our clinical and call center staff has has rotated between remote and on-site work. Well, great. So the next question I have for you guys is, in these staffing models, how do you monitor your employees or really evaluate their productivity during remote work? I think that's a really great question. And one of the questions that often comes up with remote work is, you know, how are you going to ensure that your team is taking care of patients in a similar manner to the way they would whenever they were in the office. So we were pretty lucky, I think, with my team. We already had some productivity metrics in place before they went remote that we were able to use as a baseline. So we're an EPIC institution. We utilized EPIC events to track some productivity metrics. We've been transitioning to using flow sheets, actually, to help with some of data extractions. We've been using flow sheets as well. And then I think phone metrics are a big thing for our team also. So I can get a real-time feed to see 
who's logged into their phone, you know, who's actively talking to patients, what our abandonment rate is, and really continue to monitor all of the same productivity metrics that we were using already in the office, but in a remote setting. I think it's certainly different for sure. It's presented some interesting options for us in terms of, of monitoring that, but Overall, it seems like we've been able to transition those metrics pretty smoothly to the remote setting. And Ashley, it's pretty interesting that you say you used the same metrics before COVID. So would you say that during COVID and and this remote work, that the metrics have remained pretty consistent or that the metrics productivity has increased or decreased from what you saw at baseline? Sure. I would say... In the first couple of weeks that people transitioned to remote work, I'm going to be honest, there was a decline, right? There was a time period when people, you know, we transitioned a lot of workflows that used to be paper-driven, in-office-driven to something that's now remote. And some people struggled with that. And we needed to make sure that we developed really solid training and we had more frequent meetings to talk through some of these issues that came up because we had never faced them before, right? Um, It was a whole brand new workflow for our team. After that initial time period, we've actually seen things stabilize and the metrics have stayed about the same. So I think we had that initial time period where we needed a lot more training, which makes sense because it was brand new to everyone. But after that point, yeah, I think that's a great question. We've been able to maintain productivity pretty similar to before when we were all in the office. That's great. And Julia, would you like to go next? Sure. And I'm going to echo a lot of what Ashley said about the learning curve in response to transitioning workflow in general. Anytime you move buildings, move locations, you move from on-site to remote, there's some inherent lost productivity. What we found with regards to staffing is the overtime actually increased the first couple weeks of COVID. Our team felt a really big responsibility to make sure our patients still got taken care of. The number of patients that we had to call or reach didn't change just because our office setting did. But what we found is as the leadership team providing kind of grace in that area to say, okay, what are your, your, your unique challenges? How do you reach a patient remotely? What's the role of technology? Prior to COVID, unlike Ashley, we didn't have strong productivity metrics. We have a traditional scorecard looking at number of prescriptions that we filled. And what we did see is the number of prescriptions that were not picked up but actually sent out or delivered out completely changed. We went from a bunch of pickups to no pickups. So how do we respond to support staffing in that way? And then also the understanding that a remote team is going to feel different team levels of engagement. So similar to what Ashley did, we had regular daily huddles and check-ins. And by bringing everybody together making people feel comfortable that you're not isolated alone, that your phone didn't work. Oh, wait, everybody's phones weren't working. And that way it's a very real-time check-in. Doesn't add to productivity. That was 30 minutes they were not on the phone or interacting with patients. And yet at the same time, we felt that was really important to be successful kind of long-term. The other piece is the productivity metrics we looked at, usually were done on a monthly basis. We moved to weekly statistics. So checking in weekly to say how quickly during this pandemic are things changing? We need to f- move faster and respond more than once a month. We would have only pivoted maybe nine times versus how many weeks there are between when they went remote to be on site again. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, big part too, as a, a manager of 
people, you have the HR responsibilities, just evaluating time cards, making sure that folks are clocking in when they're supposed to be, taking lunch when they're supposed to be. It's easy when you get outside of a traditional office environment to work through lunch and really encouraging folks to step away, take a break. This is a marathon, not a sprint. We say that all the time. And at the same time, you still have to support your traditional HR processes for discipline and attendance. And then understanding, okay, if somebody's sick and quarantined and can work, how do you allow them to work remotely if they can versus those folks that are sick and out with a migraine that maybe inherently aren't going to be productive? When do you use sick time versus come into the office and log in per se virtually? So a couple of things for us, learning curves, and then really focusing on how do you measure what's not happening between the visits. And I think that's just different as it relates to our mission with building clinic and provider relationships. That was one of the big reasons our clinical team didn't stay remote. They showed that they could do it by being productive. However, we lost some of the inherent opportunities of connecting with providers and nurses in clinic, missed time for referrals. So some of the things that are harder to measure, we felt was invaluable. And that's why we really went to everyone back on site with a set deadline and time to return to work. So kind of a long answer, but very comprehensive as it relates to productivity as a sensitive topic, but also as, you know, the core job functions that we have is to get our care out to our patients in an effective way. Great. Thank you both for kind of explaining that. And I I definitely learned myself some best practices of kind of what to monitor during these remote staffing models. So Julia, talk to us a little bit about what you think is one of your best practices that you, you implemented over these last 10 months or so of the pandemic. For me, if I could only pick one best practice, it would be cross-training. The emphasis of all hands on deck to solve a problem. Prescriptions still need to get out. And if you're clinical, I need you packaging prescriptions. If you're usually on the phone with a patient, but there's nobody to fill prescriptions, we've got to all have you know roles and responsibilities. So um, very quickly as a leader, it was hard, but best practice I've got is shut down the comments that are like, it's not in my job description to do that. COVID is in no one's job description. So not being afraid to jump in and say, what needs to be done right now, focus on what matters, and then being able to say, what are those expectations that we had before? And then what can we let go of maybe old expectations or old things? We need to make room for what is new and then also allow for just the grace of people learning new skills. A clinician getting back into data entry is a learning curve, right? Just the way that a dispensing pharmacist would feel unfamiliar with certain disease state guidelines. We all know how to take care of patients, but the skills that it takes to do so in all the different settings is challenging. So cross-training and emphasizing that we're all in this as a team is my big takeaway with regards to staffing during COVID. Thank you, Julianne. I really couldn't agree with you more. And I think uh, at that point in time, it was really just all hands on deck. I mean, we had our director staffing and verifying scripts. We had kind of all levels really participating and ensuring we could continue our operations during that time. So wonderfully said. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. So the next question I have for you both is in regards to COVID vaccines. So we've now seen two COVID vaccines gain emergency use authorization in the United States, and our vaccination efforts have started. So what has the role of a specialty pharmacist and or a specialty pharmacy technician been in staffing COVID clinics? Julia, would you like to start? 
Sure. I will say I was in the first wave of getting the first round of the vaccine. So I'm very excited. I'm still here and the science behind it is really cool. For the specialty pharmacy, we found at a department level, the call to action was filling in at pharmacy specific activities. So whether that was drawing up syringes, whether that was staffing events as immunizers, um, those were two big needs that we had. And what happened is that often pulled our retail pharmacy staff and our inpatient pharmacy staff so that maybe the specialty pharmacy team wasn't in the clinics directly. What they did is they backfilled those folks that staffed the clinics. So they filled in at retail on the weekends so that the COVID clinic could happen for those that are closer to that immunization piece. We have added our specialty pharmacists to our immunization protocol to be ready for the larger events that will be for serving the community and for patients. So lots of exciting activity to come. And as a leader, still being able to stay focused on, we've got our primary job to do, and we don't want that performance maybe to slide as we shift the efforts to COVID. So understanding with the team that there's a expectation that you help, but you don't have to be on 24-7. We have a large team and we all need to work and lean on each other. My overtime junkies are all about working the COVID vaccine clinics. They're all about working the COVID drive-through. And sometimes I'll rein them back a little bit and say, I know that's fun and really exciting and maybe even really cool to do the COVID stuff, but we still need somebody to staff and get those prescriptions out and work the drive-through window at the pharmacy instead of picking up that shift. So all hands on deck, everyone's being asked to participate in some way. And I think that has spoken to those folks that feel a little bit unfair, like I don't wanna do this or I'm uncomfortable with getting out front-facing to patient population it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to voice those concerns as your leader. I'm going to hear that. I'm going to find another spot for you to help out though. That doesn't mean you don't have to work your weekends. So Ashley, how about you? Thanks, Julia. I think very similar to what you described here at Utah, it's also an all hands on deck situation. The call went out pharmacy wide to see who would be, you know, qualified and interested and available to participate in this COVID-19 vaccination effort. I think one of the things that's been really great is recently here in the state of Utah, we've allowed pharmacy technicians to provide vaccinations as well. So getting everyone involved in this in this effort has been great. And there's different roles, even for people who may not have completed the certification training that's required to actually administer the vaccine, they're still able to help participate, you know, drawing up the doses and in other roles. So I think that's been really great to see. I think with our team, at least there's been some team members who felt like they wanted a greater opportunity to participate in the COVID-19 effort. And this has been a really great way to channel that participation, right? Um, Since we weren't, you know, directly inpatient practitioners taking care of these actively sick patients, it's been great that those team members who wanted to help out and participate have been able to. Similarly to Julia, we also want to make sure that we're staffed first. And so we've asked everyone participating in those clinics to do that as part of overtime effort to make sure that we're continuing to maintain our specialty operations, especially at this very busy time of year being January. I think everyone knows It can be very, very busy. And so I think it's been really great that we've had team members who've been really interested in getting involved. And our whole team has been very excited about getting vaccinated themselves. And it'll be really interesting to see how things go moving forward whenever we're able to move to future waves of vaccination and actually be able to vaccinate 
our patients because our patients are at high risk, right? And a lot of them have some immunocompromising conditions and things like that. And we want to get them protection as well. So currently here in Utah, we're still in the way we're vaccinating our healthcare providers participating in that effort. Great. Thank you both. And I would agree with what you both shared. You know, although it's been a voluntary basis at University of Chicago, we've seen a lot of interest and we've seen our pharmacists, our technicians sign up for different aspects. And so, and I think this is the exciting part is pharmacists and technicians are really, they want to be part of history here. And so we've seen a lot of people volunteer and volunteer for different aspects from administration to the documentation and epic to drawing up syringes and so it sounds like that's a similar situation at your institutions as well so the next question i have for you both is we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here our vaccines are approved we've got our healthcare workers starting to get vaccinated so what is your plan for staffing beyond covid you know i think this is the point in time where we start to decide Are we staying remote? Are we coming back on site? Are there new positions created that are flex positions? So what are your plans to return to campus, if at all? And what staffing models do you see post-COVID? Ashley, would you like to start? Yeah, I think this is the million-dollar question, right? My team members ask me this question very frequently. We're still talking about it. So I also think it'll be very interesting to see what happens after covid at least for my team, like I said, we're about 90% remote. Many of our team members have found remote work to be really engaging and enjoyable. There's a lot of really positive benefits about it for, for our team, and I'd like to support that. And so we are exploring opportunities to see what would it be like if we maintained at least some aspect of remote work, right? Maybe not remote work in how it is right now, um, but maybe some sort of hybrid in the future, It's also been a solution for some other challenges that we are facing. For example, space is limited, at least at our institution. And so it's been helpful in that, you know, truthfully, if you're running out of desks, it's nice. It it solves that solution as well. And so, you know, if our team members like it and it's enjoyable, I think it's a great thing to consider for the future. However, I think there's also things, you know, like Julia brought up that you have to consider like engaging with relationships, right? We want our team to continue to maintain those strong relationships that they've had and and continue to have and relationships with providers and with other care team members and, and even just with the rest of our own team. And so I think those are all kind of things we're trying to balance as we plan for what the future looks like. Of course, there are some roles currently that have that have never gone remote, right? And so those have continued to be in person and likely will continue to be in person. But for, for our team, we're at least currently looking at opportunities to maintain some aspect of remote work in the future. Thanks, Ashley. At the University of Missouri, our core model is really based on those kind of clinic relationships, patient engagement, clinic engagement. So acknowledging that the staff did show that they can effectively work remotely, our model and our vision, what we feel makes us different than a call center model of the big box specialty pharmacy stores is being in clinic, being the face behind the prescription and the process. So for us, that was really important to get the folks back. But to your point, 
it also is unclear when there's unclear expectations of, am I coming back? Am I not coming back? You often find that you're spending a lot of emotional energy on what's the plan. And the minute we just gave them a date, there was some initial grumbling of, you know, is it safe to come back? How do we know? Similar to those folks that have kids in school right now, at the on again, off again, it's been challenging for everyone involved. So for us having a really clear purpose, I think just provided some clarity, maybe not always the most widely accepted or popular opinion, but at at the same time, kind of picking something and sticking with it resonated when everything else during COVID really changed a whole lot. Another reinforcement, I guess, of that vision and that decision for us is when we were recruiting, we had some positions filled during COVID. It's really hard to learn specialty pharmacy remotely. And so we were very glad to have those folks on site to provide the training, even though it was a slightly different experience. Um, we're glad to be all back in person. But the opportunity that I like to think about as it relates to staffing is recruiting. We now can recruit from anywhere all over. And so previously I was focused on recruiting pharmacy techs and pharmacists in the central Missouri area. And now I, in a good way, get to compete with the University of Utah for great talent. So being prepared to support your model and then backfill vacancies as folks maybe gravitate to an all remote situation or they gravitate to an all in-person situation. And so that leads us to lots of different staffing challenges as you just have turnover, vacancies, training, competencies, how you handle those remotely and on site are a couple of things I think that'll be really interesting. And I don't think we'll have a clear answer for as it continues to evolve in the COVID pandemic as it rolls out. So Huda, how's it at University of Chicago? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now we are still in our flex positions. And as of now, flex positions will continue. So we'll continue to rotate staff, potentially about three pharmacists, three technicians on site every four to five weeks or so, but definitely different for our clinical pharmacists. So they have very specific clinic days that they spend in clinic alongside providers. And so I think for those particular days, they would spend that time in clinic. So for our clinical pharmacists, we've really dedicated those days that they are in clinic to be on site and the days that they're not in clinic to be remote. And so a lot still to be determined. And I think that's the same kind of what I'm hearing across many institutions, but a lot more to kind of be determined. So it'll be interesting if I were to ask this question in another month or two months as we continue to kind of progress and move through this pandemic and see how this answer changes. So, well, thank you both. And so this really brings us to our last question. Share one lesson that you've learned during this pandemic. Julia, would you like to go first? Sure. The lesson I learned is that specialty pharmacy is pandemic proof. <laughs> our patients, our providers, the health systems continue to need specialty pharmacy services more than ever. The show really must go on and being committed to your mission is really, really important. Serving patients, reaching them, but not being necessarily tied to your methods of we have to do healthcare delivery in this particular way. So for me, being pandemic proof was an interesting challenge, but also showed the importance and the resilience of all the team members involved and being able to continue to deliver excellent patient care, even though it might look different. Finding those new and innovative ways was probably my biggest lesson taken away. So excited to be part of history, like you said. I 100% agree with what Julia said, and I thought she said it very eloquently. I think being pandemic proof is not something we've ever had to show before, but I think across the country, everyone really um, has adapted and been really flexible during this time. And I think that's my big 
takeaway is it's really shown the importance of flexibility and also engaging team members in creating solutions because our team has great ideas. And, and one of the things in specifically as it pertains to staffing that we've been able to do at the University of Utah is, is take a look at our responsibilities. And some of those absolutely are directly patient facing and need to be done at specific times of day. But some of those maybe don't need to be done at, at certain times of day. And so we've been able to be flexible with staff in that way. If they have childcare responsibilities or other responsibilities because of COVID-19, we've been able to be flexible in terms of staffing to allow them to take care of those responsibilities that they have at home, but still get the work done with us and provide that high quality of patient care that everyone's striving for. So Julia, thank you so much for phrasing it so eloquently, but I think everyone across the country has really pitched in and taking care of our specialty patients in a really unique time. And I am just really proud of the work that everyone's been doing. So. So thank you both for your insight. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Ashley and Julia for joining us to discuss the current state of specialty pharmacy staffing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcasts as we will be posting more lessons learned, practice, and management during COVID-19 and beyond. So thank you again for joining us. My name was Huda Marie Kanda, and I am from the University of Chicago, and we look forward to hosting more podcasts from the section of specialty pharmacy practitioners. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.